Welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Rick Niles, and he'll be answering your questions on top Pennsylvania fly fishing destinations. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Rick a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com, and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill out the form on the right side of our homepage, and we'll let you know when the next live show will be. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. But if you have to leave early, you can return to our website or any of the podcast platforms at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. If you're out and about on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd share a podcast. And when you do, use the hashtag AskAboutFlyFishing and hashtag FlyFishing. In fact, if you have a moment, do it right now and let other people know about the great things that are happening over here. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted as the property of the Knowledge Group, Inc., doing businesses, ask about fly fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Rick Niles about top Pennsylvania fly fishing destinations. The Colorado River at Lee's Ferry is called by some the world's largest spring creek. It's a massive, clear-running tailwater fishery that runs 15.5 miles from the base of the Glen Canyon Dam to the upper reaches of the Grand Canyon. At times, it gives the impression of being not one or two, but a series of parallel Spring Creek-like waterways. The fishing is great, and the scenery is gorgeous. These ferry anglers provides professional guide service to this outstanding rainbow trout fishery, as well as food and lodging at Cliff Dwellers Restaurant and Lodge. See for yourself why these ferry is on every fly fisher's must-do list. Visit leesferryanglers.com or call them at 800-962-9755. Again, that's leesferryanglers.com or call them at 800-962-9755. Before we introduce Rick, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. On our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Rick's section that says register for our free drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a book courtesy of Stackpole Books. And here's how you can win a Stackpole book. You must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. And the question will be something that Rick and I talk about during the show and just submit your answer along with your name and location using that text box on our homepage. It's the same text box that you use during the show to ask questions. So listen closely, take lots of notes, type fast, and maybe you'll win a book from Stackpole Books. Our guest tonight is Rick Niles. Rick has been fly fishing for over 40 years and started guiding in 1999. As the business grew, Rick decided to start Sky Blue Outfitters. Sky Blue Outfitters has grown to be the most comprehensive guide service in Pennsylvania. His staff of eight guides has well over 100 years of guiding experience and over 170 years of combined fly fishing in Pennsylvania. Sky Blue Outfitters offers day drift boat and overnight package trips in Pennsylvania. They have guided clients from around the country. They host trips to Montana, Idaho, Baja, 
Labrador, Outer Banks, and New York. Rick is an accomplished fly tire who is also known for his CDC patterns, his simple approach to fly tying and fly tying techniques. Rick placed third in Orvis fly tying contests by entering his unique green drake pattern. Rick developed and started selling his own wing material called up-down trout. The material is a great alternative to CDC and has similar floating characteristics. Another benefit is it is easier to use than CDC. Rick, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Oh, thank you. Good to have you tonight. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, a little late. It's past my bedtime. <laughs> okay. Late for me in these awake. shows, right? <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, we try to accommodate all the time zones, but it's a little tough. Oh, That's always the East Coast. But you guys are always used to staying up later than us, us people on the West. I think your news starts later and everything out there. But yeah. uh, anyway, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. So we're talking about Pennsylvania fly fishing destinations. And as we were talking before the show, you and I said, I was, I'm just amazed at all the fisheries in Pennsylvania. There's just so many high-quality waters there. And you had told me something that I'd like you to share with the folks out there. I didn't realize how great a state it was for fly fishing, but tell people yeah. about your ranking. Pennsylvania in the lower 48 it has the most running water of any state. Alaska beats us, but down here in the lower 48, I forget the number. I think it's 28,000 miles of water that wow. runs through Pennsylvania. Now, not all trout waters, of course, but there's just an abundance of water. I can walk to three trout streams from my house where I live, and I'm in southeastern wow. PA near Philadelphia. Not like yeah. I'm way out in the middle of nowhere in the upper state. I'm an hour from Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. So even close to major metropolitan city, there's great fly fishing. Yeah, it's interesting. We're talking about that right now. Valley Forge Park has Valley Creek running through it down in Philadelphia. That's a Class A trout stream. There's wild brown trout yeah. in there. And they wow. don't stock wow. it. They just have their own population. That's great. That's great. Yeah. We've got a ton of water to cover, so to speak, tonight. Yeah. But first, I'd like to, we've got a bunch of general questions come in from our audience about fly fishing in Pennsylvania and some techniques and so forth too. So I'd like to try to run through those first, and then I'd like to run through some of the top picks you have for, for creeks and rivers in central and eastern Pennsylvania. And we've got a whole bunch of them there, and we'll try to get through as many as we can. But some of them people may know very well or have heard about, and others may be off the grid, so to speak. So let's get started on these general questions. And a couple more came in while we were gearing up here. But let's start running through this. Chuck in Placerville, California, asked, do you have any recommendations on books or reference materials which detail the Pennsylvania water? There's three good books out there. Keystone, the one we talked about before the show, that's a pretty good comprehensive book. And then there's Tom Gilmore's book, Fly Fisher's Guide to Pennsylvania. That's a good book. And then the first book that I'm aware of that really wrote about all the streams is Dwight Landis's book. And that was written about 20 years ago, maybe even farther back. I think all three of them are available on Amazon. Okay. So you can buy them there. Okay. Okay. Good. And that's, um, that's the one I helped with 
Tom Gilmore with his book on certain streams. Keystone has more streams in it. Okay. But Tom has more details on where to go. Yeah. Yeah, covering so much water, it's hard to provide a lot of detail all in one book. I know that the Keystone book is, what, 586 pages? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and you still, like you say, may not have all the details that one would like, but it just started anyway on on some of these rivers. Yeah. Chuck, same guy, Chuck in Placerville, California. He says he's planning his first trip to Fish, Pennsylvania. What river or body of water should I focus on to maximize my trip? I might just defer to this to what we'll talk about later. And unless you want to highlight a couple of those now for a first trip, where might he land and start out from? Maybe that's a good... good Just recently, I don't know who did this survey, but or listing State College area, which we're going to talk about a lot later, was named in the top 25 trout waters in the United States. Again, right in the middle of the state where State College is located. We'll talk in more detail later, but that to me is the center of the bullseye is out there. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, good suggestion. E. Hucko in western Pennsylvania says, would you talk about the green drake hatch on Pine Creek? Now, that's not one of the ones we were going to talk about. And he says, but what other PA streams have green drake hatches worth mentioning? Maybe you can, and you, we spoke in your bio about your green drake pattern. So you want to speak to that in general in Pennsylvania about the green drake hatch? Yeah, Pine Creek does have the green drake hatch. It's very sporadic. It's not you know, an intense hatch or heavy hatch. It can be in certain areas. It's not, there's better streams than that that have it. It is splattered throughout the state college area. To me, Penn's Creek has the heaviest hatch. Penn's Creek? Okay. Yeah, and I'm also surprised on some of the smaller streams I've encountered green drake hatches on streams I didn't think they were there. What's the time of year for the green drake? Oh, it could be anywhere from the third week. It's a short hatch period, and it usually travels up to stream once it starts. So it can be one week on one stream, lower hatch amount over a two-week period, but Generally, Memorial Day is prime green drake. Week after that and the week before is usually when it's the most intense. But it's just like any other hatch. you got to be at the right place at the right time. Hard to time that when you're coming from out of state sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Salmon <laughs> fly hatches. Yeah, yeah, like stonefly hatches, too. I think in my yeah. whole career of fishing, I've only hit them three times. But when you do, oh, it's wow. great. Yeah. Bob Garman in Philadelphia says, any thoughts on the Fish Commission's practice of stocking rainbows in wild brown trout streams? I'm involved with the Pennsylvania Trout Unlimited and also my local chapter. And that's one of the main focuses right now here in the state. What we're trying to do, our native trout is the brook trout. So we're focusing in on that, that we do not want wild or native brook trout streams stocked with rainbows or brown. The Fish Commission here in the state just put through a proposal to eliminate that. So we're hoping that's going to pass with comments from the fishing community. As far as stocking rainbows over browns, one of the things here in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of bait fishermen. So they do like to catch their fish and take them out. I like the fact that they're stocking, I'm just guessing here, 90% rainbows. You know, the word's out. If you catch a rainbow, generally it's stocked. Take it if that's what you want to do. 
I'm strictly catch and release my whole businesses. But there's so many wild brown trout streams here. I agree with you. There are streams. I got one close to me. They stock it, and I wish they wouldn't. It has enough, enough habitat and to sustain a really good brown trout fishery. I wish they wouldn't stock it, but all the income for the Fish Commission is based on licensed sales. So they do not get any money from the state. They need to sell licenses. And so it's like a catch-22 type scenario. Yeah, and a license is to some a license to keep, and that's why they fish. And yes. Yeah, yeah. Tell me this, because we have a private lake up here in, in Colorado that I have access to because of where I live. But And we have to stock that periodically. And we looked into stocking some browns in the lake and found that the, the price of browns for stocking was, I don't know, it was three or four times the price of rainbows. Is, do you know anything about that? Or are they harder to raise? No, in a, in a, in a I really, really don't. I don't get into that part of it. It's just, I think the rainbows... I know here locally there was a stream we were putting fingerlings in, and it's a release from a dam, and it's a delayed harvest, which means after a certain date, June 15th, you're allowed to keep fish. And the reason being the water gets too warm. But they will hold over, and they will live through the summer. And what we were doing was stocking small five-inch fingerlings. These guys would be 13 inches. We'd stock them in the fall they'd be 8 to 11 inches in the spring they made it through the summer they'd be 13 inches or more and if they made it through the next year they'd be in the 15 to 18 inch range they grow faster i think brown trout don't get as big faster i think the rainbows get bigger faster maybe that Um, has something to do with it yeah yeah, i think that Uh, i'll have to I'll have to ask the hatchery guy next time I get a chance and find out why that is. But, and it could be a Colorado thing, too. But, um, yeah, Moriel in Baltimore is asked, he says, I once went fishing on the Schuylkill. Schuylkill. Uh, okay. <laughs> you might have to correct me a couple of times. Yeah, tonight. that's all right. We have Indian names here, too. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Schuylkill. Okay. There was an easy, obvious place to park and walk down to the river, and while I was on the river, someone came to tell me I was on private property. I apologized, said I didn't realize that, and they gave me permission to stay on the river. Is there a good resource to find out about allowed public access for river in Pennsylvania? That. The Schuylkill, first of all, falls under the colonial law that you could navigate or do commercial enterprise on it. So once you have access to it, and there's a bunch of bigger rivers just like this here in the state, once you have access to it, you're allowed within the high water mark. Okay. But that's only on rivers that they did commerce on, move coal, move lumber, moved oil, whatever they were, the resources they were taking to Philly or Pittsburgh or whatever. So it's not like Montana. Once you're in the water, any water, you can go where you want as long as you stay in the high water mark. So you really just have to look for posted, no trespassing signs. Now, what this gentleman ran into was a typical landowner. You'd be polite, you ask, they let you fish. And I think that's they're trying to keep away anybody who's throwing litter, things like that. I don't know the whole situation, what he 
got into, but if he found a parking area and he could get into the river and there was no yellow posted signs or purple ribbons around the tree, he had full access to that river. And once he's in it, he can go up and down that river from Philadelphia up to the coal regions. They can't stop you. So it's, and the law is not navigable rivers, but rivers that were used for commerce, yeah. which could be a difference. Yeah, be the Delaware, the Upper Delaware, which is a great trout fishery, the Lehigh River, the Schuylkill River, Lackawanna River, Allegheny, the ones around Pittsburgh, all the big rivers where they move lumber and stuff. Right, okay. That you would float to Susquehanna for smallmouth, Juniata, yeah. What is the law for rivers that don't fall under that category? It can't be posted. If it's posted private property, you don't have access unless you get permission. Okay, and the property owner can own both sides of the stream. And that it's not like Montana, where you have 15 feet of easement on either side of the bridge, you're allowed in, and you can stay in the high water mark. It's not that way unless it's one of the big rivers. That we yeah, follow think, the Montana uh, law. Yeah, it's been through the courts in and out of the courts for years. So they, yeah, I think uh, 15 years like ago, Colorado. they settled it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds more like Colorado, where mm-hmm. if it's navigable and if you can float a boat on it, then you can fish it, but you can't stop on private property. You can't anchor. Or you, you can't, can't anchor. Out, <laughs> yeah, can't touch bottom. You can't you mm-hmm. just float through it and fish, but that's it. Yeah, yeah, so, we, yeah. like we say, nobody owns the water. Yeah, yeah. Just exactly. like nobody owns the air. Except in Colorado, the ranchers on the eastern plains own the water. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, for irrigation. We send it to L.A. and Las Vegas, <laughs> and they, they own part of the water. But, yeah, so yeah. anyway, it depends on what side of the hill you are. Dino in Michigan says, are there any streams or areas where swinging wet flies excels for numbers or quality of fish? Everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere. Wet <laughs> okay. fly fishing. I have one of my guides, he's well known here in the state for wet fly fishing, Dave Albon. He sells leaders, he has DVDs, and he really got me into wet fly fishing. And I'll tell you what, he does it 99% of the time when he's out for trout with clients. Is he? That's what he likes to do. And it's just the bigger waters, of course, is where you want to do it. And the key thing, fishing them, is getting them down. So you need sinking line. Okay. Just sinking tip or like intermediate sinking? Yeah, intermediate. Not all the way down to the bottom, about halfway. And you're allowed to use three flies. So you can do a three-rig setup. So I can go on and on about that. But the question is tough because you're asking about numbers but wet yeah. fly fishing produces numbers it really does it? yeah okay. if there's a hatch going on they're chasing up those emergers and of course nymphing does well too and so does dry fly fishing but i like if I, there's some bugs and it's not real heavy hatch it's very sporadic that's when i start swinging wet okay okay all right rick take a quick break when we come back we'll get back into some of these questions and uh See if we can get them answered. So hang tight. Be right back. All right. Musky Town is so much more than a musky fly shop. Whether you're a musky fly fishing guide, an experienced musky hunter, 
or just getting into the predators on the fly, wherever life's adventures take you, Muskie Town's proven lineup helps you to be more successful on the water. They have rods, reels, lines, and flies for muskie, pike, and bass. Most of their flies are tied in-house, and they fish them at every possible opportunity so they know what works, why it works, and exactly what you need to put big fish in the net. Sit back, relax, and enjoy legendary fly shop service, and please let them know if there's anything they can help you with. Next time you think of muskie, go to muskietown, that's muskietown.com, or call them at 763-312-6012. Again, that's muskytown.com, or call them at 763-312-6012. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Rick Niles about top Pennsylvania fly fishing destinations. If you'd like to ask Rick a question, just go to our homepage and fill the form out there, and we'll try to get an answer for you tonight on the show. Rick, tell me about what's going on in your fly fishing world. Tell folks about your business and other things you might be doing related to fly oh, fishing. Oh, okay. Name of the business is Sky Blue Outfitters. We're based here, of course, in Pennsylvania. I have a staff of eight guides, me one of them. And over the years, I built the business up slowly. I just wanted to make sure I got the right staff to support the business. And the nice thing is how we put it together is that we all have different disciplines. And I'm known for dry fly fishing and my dry Dave Allball, I mentioned about wet flies. Dave Rothrock, who's a casting guru. Taylor Helbig, he's our young gun. Guess what he's into? Urinimping and all that <laughs> type of the new technology and all the new techniques and, and also musky fishing and things like that. He's really into that stuff. And then Derek Everly, he's another champion fly caster. And I have Bill Nolan. He's a drift boat guide for me in the Lehigh and the Susquehanna. He worked with Wounded Warriors, was running the program here in the state for a while. And then Brian Shoemaker, he floats the Juniata River and the Susquehanna. I mentioned the Susquehanna earlier. That's a smallmouth fishery, and it has some big smallmouth considered one of the best smallmouth rivers here in the east. And then I have Shane Becker. He was a competition fly fisherman, and he's also into the newer techniques like George teach, George Daniel teaches in his books. So I think that we have a good crew together, rounded. Somebody calls and they want to wet fly fish, well, we hook them up with Dave. That's what we do. As far as the business, we do day trips, of course, and we do drift boat trips on the Lehigh River for trout and then Susquehanna, Juniata for smallmouth. We're starting to get into some lake fishing for largemouth bass and for pike. So we're doing that out in central Pennsylvania where my one guy, Dave, lives. We do package trips here in the state out on the Juniata River, Little Juniata River, near Johnstown, which is east of Pittsburgh, a couple hours, and then in the state college area. I lease a farmhouse on a trout stream, runs right on the property, even runs through a covered under a covered bridge on the property, Big Fishing Creek. So I run packages out there. There's two-night packages and three-night packages. It's lodging, guiding, food. Show up with your gear and your license. Jump in our car, and we take care of you. So I've been doing those type trips for 15 years. And then, of course, we do destination trips. I just had a group up in Labrador. We were up there for the big brookie and pike. And we had a ball, except 
getting up and back with Air Canada. That's a whole nother story. I've been running <laughs> trips to <laughs> I've been running trips to Montana, in fact, and out west there. In fact, I'm going out to Idaho and on September 10th. I'll be out there for two weeks. I have a group of five come in. We're going to fish Henry's Fork and wherever the guides are going to take us. And that group leaves, and I have another group coming in. And next year, I got two trips to Montana and one trip to Baja, Mexico. We're going to go down there for rooster fish and rattle. That's our goal for that. So I'm putting together a list for trips for 2024 now and working out the details. That's what we do here. And you said earlier, comprehensive guide service. I think that's what we are. We're, we've been doing this a long time. I've been doing it a long time. And we got it all worked out. And uh, as far Rick, as what's, these, your, uh, uh, what's your website address so people can find oh, it? Oh, yeah, it's www.skybleoutfitters.com. Okay, skybleoutfitters.com. Yeah. Terrific. And then me personally, I'm on the board of a local chapter here, Perkiomen Valley TU. I'm also the Southeastern Pennsylvania Regional VP for the State Council of Trout Unlimited. One unique thing we do is Chris Wood, the CEO of Trout Unlimited, he comes up here to my farmhouse on Big Fishing Creek, and we auction off fishing with Chris Wood. So it's a fundraiser. We do things like that, support a lot of other chapters, and try and help them raise money. Nice. So that's my involvement. I'm really involved with CU. Yeah, I hear he's quite the fly fisher and quite the man we're traveling. Yeah, he's yeah, he's a good guy. Somehow we got hooked up and we become friends. But it was interesting when he was up last year. He loves to cast far. (laughs) (laughs) He will. You only really have to cast a lot of the streams. If you can cast thirty feet up here and forty feet, you're going to catch fish. He would move away to sixty, seventy feet. He just liked to bomb that fly out there. It was funny. Just like he, casting, yeah. Yeah. He says, hey, I live in Arlington, Virginia. He goes, I only get to fish big water usually. Yeah. He used to casting yeah. that way. He's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That comes in handy when you go down to the salt. So. <laughs> That's true. <huh? laughs> That's yeah. True. Yeah, I have I have to work on that every time I go from Colorado down to Belize or somewhere. It's, I got to work it. <laughs> well, and I'm the same down. way. Here, I can just risk cast most of the streams, and yeah, I get yeah. some place where I got to bomb one out there. I got to teach myself the double hole every time. Huh. It takes yeah, me a while to get yeah. it because I don't do it. Well, good. Well, thanks for sharing all that about what's going on in your world. Appreciate that. And sounds like you got just a fantastic crew there of guides yeah. and. Got everything covered. That's great. That's great. Let's jump back into questions here. This is kind of wide open, but I'll see where you go with this. Bob Garman in Philadelphia says, what fly patterns do you consider a must for fishing Pennsylvania streams? Boy, when you sent me that question, I sat there and raked (laughs) raked my brain a little bit. What flies would I just take if I had to choose four flies? And my thought came to this. A March Brown, which is a size 14, may, I think it can be used as a Hendrickson here where we get them. The March Brown, Tanikia in the fall, and Slate Drakes during the summer. 
Then I saw it at 10 cadets, size 16. There you go. Blueing olive, size 18. And a sulfur or a PMD. If I had to put four flies in my box, that's what I would do. Notice the green drakes not on there. Yeah, because yeah, they're not around all the time. Right? <laughs> you got that right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So, and believe me, when the word gets out, the green drake is hatching. Good luck finding a spot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I stay That's away. Right. Yeah. I'll be, yeah, yeah, I'll be somewhere remote catching little native brook trout somewhere. So there you go, Bob. I hope that helps you out there. Notice they were sounded like those were all duns. Uh, <laughs> but well, drive yeah, fly I'm a dry fly guy. Yeah, okay. Okay, so variations of those below or at the surface might work too, huh? <laughs> yeah, I was all thinking right. it would be the whole family of that mayfly, whether the yeah, dense right. and the dun. Yeah, exactly. And it's amazing because most of those are would be the same flies you might use in Colorado or Montana. Or yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty common all little... over. Oh, yeah. I'm going to tie up some. Hysonicki is basically I'm going to tie up March Browns. Yeah. to take out there to yeah. Idaho. And one of my guide secrets is I tie up a lot of Hendrickson's, which is a lighter pinkish body, and I don't yeah. tie many March Browns. And the reason being, I carry a brown magic marker with me. If I want a March Brown, I just get that out, color of the Hendrickson, and I got a March Brown. Yeah. All right. Dave in Connecticut wants to know, and also Randy from Mississippi, both are asking about smallmouth bass. Where should you go? What time of year should you go? The, in smallmouth bass here, the best fishing is the Susquehanna River, Harrisburg and North, and then there's a big trib river called the Juniata. Brian, my guide that goes there, and so does Bill, but Brian Shoemaker that goes there, he likes to do little bit of the Juniata, or mostly on the Juniata, and get into the Susquehanna. As far as when to come, he's not a big fan of fishing when they're spawning, even though it's allowed. I would say June, usually into November. Now, right now is primo. It's poppers, clouds or minnows, and right now the white fly is coming off, which is a white mayfly. And it is the most intense hatch you'll ever see. So there's 2,000 mm. flies out there. You throw yours out there. Good luck getting that fish to eat yours. But yeah. it, it, people go for it all the time. If they start coming off sporadically, you can catch fish. But it usually is a into-the-darkness type hatch. And there's right. actually been car accidents on the bridges. It's that heavy. That thick. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it can be really thick. But Susquehanna, and it's on a regular basis, you should get a good four-pound smallmouth. Okay, okay. David in Colorado wants to know, he says, evidently he's having a tough time seeing rising trout. He says, what's the best way to see rising trout? I have polarized glasses. Others seem to see them rising, and I'm missing it. Any suggestions? I'm a dry fly guy, and I do presentations at shows, and I have photographs of different rises. It, first of all, I would say make sure you're standing somewhere where you don't have glare. And how I recognize fish rising in faster water, I'm looking for a splash of water upstream, okay? Mm. 
So if you're looking yep. to find a fish in a little choppier water, maybe coming into a big pool, you want to look for that splash upstream. So that's one way. The other way is, boy, sometimes they just bring their nose out and it's a dimple. And it looks like it might be just a pine cone tumbling down the creek, but it's not. And the bigger fish I've learned, I got some nice videos of this, you'll see their dorsal and tail come up. It's not a splashy rise. Big fish don't really make splashy rises. They'll make real big, subtle, circular rises, okay? But they're not ones that come splashing up. Usually that's the smaller fish or it's a fish that's racing up from the bottom pretty far and going back down. So the polarized glasses are definitely going to help you. But most of the time, I have a lot of clients that say the same thing. Their fly will be floating down and a fish will eat. And I set the hook and they say, I didn't see anything. I said, your fly disappeared. Sometimes it's so subtle. But you just yeah. got to look for those rings and the faster water, like I said, the water flying upstream. That, that tells you there's one in that fast water. And that's where I like to concentrate my dry fly fishing. Uh, great. Alan Brisk in Western Jordan, Utah. He says, I'm contacting you from Utah. However, I'm seeking advice for fly fishing opportunities near Garnet Valley, Pennsylvania. My daughter and family recently moved there. I'd like to bring a fly rod along if there's a location that's close to fish. Yeah. You know that valley? Yeah, it's near Philadelphia. Okay. Within an hour to the uh, northeast, up where I live, up in the Redding area, between Redding and Allentown, you have the Manitoni Creek. There's some wild brown trout streams. There's actually one brook trout stream. Then up in the Allentown area, there's the Salkin, the Monocacy, and if you go farther north, there's the Po Poco, which is a cold water release dam. That water's 55 degrees here. Of course, the Lehigh River in Redding, the Topahawken Creek. Garnet Valley up here to the Redding area, you have two good streams up here, the Manitoni good. and the Topahawken. Which we're going to talk about some of those tonight. So. Oh. Okay, a couple came in on the internet here. Let's knock these off first. What would be a good river or stream? This is from Gregory Nichols. To look at the first week of October and what species should we target? We'll be passing through Pennsylvania headed south from Niagara Falls. Heading south. Go through the state college area and fish anywhere you like. And they'll be, all be trout. The small creeks that are 10 feet wide, it'll be mostly brook trout. Big Fishing Creek has brook trout and browns. Spring Creek has all brown trout. And then, of course, you have Penn's Creek, which is we'll talk about later, but it's the mm -hmm. premier stream. First week of October, everything's going gangbusters again. Think of the mighty ant. I always say the mighty ant. Think of Lysonychias. Think of Applefall apple caddis. Okay. Okay. Another one, Scott in Poland, New York. He wants to know, what's the most effective way to fish a green drake emerger? Floating on top like a dun, down and across a wet fly, dead drift in the film like a nymph, upstream retrieve, etc. It all depends how you tie the pattern. I tie what I call a garbage fly, which is an emerger, and it's an ugly fly. And I have a photograph of it. 
And I just have that theory that show them something different. If you're buying yeah. flies in the store, what do you think they're seeing all the time? And that's an emerger for me. And I like when it lays on its side, like it's struggling or it's a stillborn, something like that. So I'm a dead drifter. I like to, when I'm fishing emergers, let them dead drift. You can give them a little, little tug every once in a while. Maybe that'll trigger a hit because it's, because you have that trailing shuck and you want to bring it out. As far as an emerger, sure, you can use a green drake emerger on a wet fly, but it's not going to be your typical emerger where the dun is hatching. It's mm. going to be a wet fly pattern. To me, if it's on top, don't move it. And time, if he wants to reach out to me, I'll send him a picture of my pattern. Okay, there you go. Uh, that's it. I can't explain it. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. I've caught fish on some pretty ugly hairs ears over the years. Yeah. Because <laughs> they can the more they get beat up sometimes, the more the yeah. fish like them. That's right. To be honest, up in Labrador, I had a fly like that. We yeah. were having some green drakes coming off and big slate drakes up there. And this fly was, it lasted me three days catching these big brookies. And it just seemed the uglier it got, the more hits I got. There you go. There you go. Let's take a, another quick break here, Rick, and when we come back, we'll start in on the fisheries there, and we'll start out with Penn's Creek, very famous fishery, and, and start marching through some of these fisheries so people can get to know them. Hang tight, and I'll be right back. All right. Enrico Puglisi flies pride themselves with creating unique and one-of-a-kind flies and fly-tying material. Enrico has been experimenting with durable synthetic and natural materials to create flies that catch fish for more than 20 years. His innovative products include brushes, fibers, and components have made a major impact on the direction of saltwater fly fishing, and his methods and materials are respected worldwide. Whether you want your flies hand-tied for you or you like to tie your own, be sure to visit Enrico Piglisi Flies and browse their online catalog. Visit epflies.com and do a little shopping today. Again, that's epflies.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Rick Niles about top Pennsylvania fly fishing destinations. If you'd like to ask him a question, just go to our homepage, askaboutflyfishing.com, and send us your question using that form on our homepage. Okay, so we got a couple of things that came in. Let's knock these off first while we were doing that break. Tom Meyer in Wild Rose, Wisconsin, he says, please talk about your up, and I said down earlier, it's up DM. Yeah. Trout wing tuna. Do you say up down? Is that the way? Yeah, up down trout. And the the real, if you think about what I did there, it's up, abbreviation down, and trout, Mm -hmm. and it has the word out in it. So that's how I came up with the name because you can use the material down like a caddis, up like a mayfly, and out like a spinner. And it's a synthetic, (laughs) and it's comes in a puff and it has a little rubber ball. So if you've ever tied with CDC and you're trying to put it on and you drop the CDC, what do you have? Nothing. <laughs> you drop this, <laughs> you just pick it right back up. So one puff's good for a mayfly, small caddis, half a puff, blueing olives, half a puff, sulfur's half a puff. Anything 14 to 12, I use a full puff. There are videos on the website. If you just go to the store or go up in the menu bar, you can find where it says up-down trout wing material, 
and you can go there and you can see videos. And it's $7 on my website per pack. Okay, great. Great. Another question, Chris Miller. He says, Rick, I know that several streams in central PA have warmed up to 68 degrees in the past few weeks. When do you expect temperatures to be coming back down, especially on pens? And what is the temperature that is safe for the fish? It's always recommended 68 degrees and under. As far as pens goes, ooh, I would have to say it's going to be September. We're supposed to hit 100 degrees tomorrow and low 90s next couple days and no rain in sight, no thunderstorms. We don't get rain now. We just get thunderstorms. I would say Penns is going to be September. We start getting those cooler nights. The water, I'm getting a little concerned about the water out there, the level, and with this heat and the water warming up, those fish will start stacking up at springs and things like that. In fact, the state has actually closed certain sections because the fish are all stacked up in there trying to survive, but they make it. Nature finds a way. Okay. All right. So let's dive into some of these creeks and rivers in Pennsylvania, starting out with Penn's Creek. What's special about this river? It begins in a cave. The water boils up in a cave, and then it flows out of the cave, and it picks up tributary creeks, some nice-sized ones elk and pine and then it gets into a larger creek you can't cast across it that wide that diversity of it you have riffles you have deep pools you have deep runs you have a lot of shade you can get in the parts that have canopy water total shade cover which is nice when you're in it's may fishing the other, the best part about pens is they have a regulated catch and release area, and there's big fish there. So uh, there's big fish throughout the whole system, but down in the catch and release, it's seven miles of fishing. There's no fish being harvested down there, and it's nothing to catch an 18. Uh, I've had clients catch 23-inch browns up there. I personally caught some bigger down there. My biggest one was almost 25 inches. And I was stalking him for two years. I, he didn't move. He just stayed <laughs> in this one area. But the other nice wow. thing is the, the state really thinks about what they're doing. And in the upper section, they had a harvest area. What they did now, we were complaining there was not enough big fish up in the upper section above the catch and release area. They want people to harvest if they want to do that. They need to do that. So what they did was put in a slot limit. And I think they can keep fish 7 to 11 inches. Now we're seeing bigger fish up there. The fish that get 12 inches, 13, 14 inches are being allowed to get up to that 20-inch range, which is nice. nice. And it has – I do a presentation at the Edison Show and the Lancaster Show here. And it's Penn's Creek, the Hatch Factory. And let me tell you, there's times you will be there, don't open your mouth because you'll get bugs in it. (laughs) And it's just, if you're at the right place at the right time. And when I started going out there many years ago, we went out there mid-afternoon. We didn't see a fish. We didn't catch a fish. Then the sulfurs came off. And we were out. I was out in the water maybe 10, 15 feet. They were rising behind me. They were rising everywhere. You can't believe how many fish are in there. 
And Spring Creek is like that too. We'll talk about that later. But what what other major patches are on Penn's Creek besides the sulfur? One of my favorite ones is the Hendrickson. That's the first big mayfly. Then you have the Granums come off at the same time. Then you move into the Quill Gordons, Ginger Quills, and flies like that. Then the March Browns, which is another one of my favorite hatches. It usually lasts about a month. And it's not a real heavy hatch, and that's why I like it. It's very sporadic. So you got to target fish, and that's what I like to do and teach my clients to do. We're going to hunt head. We're going to look for that upstream splash in those ripples, and we're going to get your fly over them. And that's what I like to do. And that usually... They'll be coming off sporadically from noon till dark, which is nice. The sulfur hatch is real intense, and, of course, the green drake. But the green drake, the word could get out, hey, it's on. it started on Penn's Creek. So you go out there and you go to the wrong spot. It's either downstream, <laughs> yes, or up above you. Yeah. And, by the way, get there around 3 o'clock and stake a claim. And three, stand three in the morning, a.m.? Until oh. it happens. Yeah, okay. <laughs> So I stay away um, from. There's other streams with green drink hatches, but now but can you yeah. float Penn's Creek? Yeah, can you, you can in, in the, the spring. Water, it's right? not bad. Yeah, if you have a rubber raft, you can float it. But generally, okay. the guys who float it, they'll do it in the spring, like in March. It's okay. The creek's open year round, so that's nice. But once the water starts dropping in May, it's tough. And I okay. see they're okay. asking about the. Uh, <laughs> having problems saying it. But getting into the stream itself can be difficult. And Penn's is a very hard stream to wade. Anybody that's mm-hmm. been there that's on this call knows exactly what I'm saying. There's a lot of bowling ball type stones in there. So it is, oh, yeah. it is hard. And the catch and release area, you got to, let's see, cross... If you really want to fish it, you got to cross the creek, and it's not a small creek. It's more like a river, and you got to cross it a couple times so you can fish it. And but there's real deep holes there, and I usually fall once a year in that creek. I'm glad to hear that. That I'm not the only one that takes a dive once in a while. <laughs> one of the things I started wearing later pants. So I don't go in too deep anymore, and that's really oh, okay. Keeps you from being risky. I'd be on the edge too much. Here in New Mexico, the San Juan has what we call greased bowling balls in it, which you're describing. And yes, one night mm-hmm. I was coming back and I couldn't see; it was too dark, and I ended up floating for a while in my waders till I could get ground again and it was scary but uh, so i know what you mean by if you don't have tall waders that you can't go in that deep it's yeah you safety you're, mechanism and i've gotten wet though already but not because yeah. an easier water but there are some stretches no. that are okay but to get to the better spot i have a rule not there's easy. a trail i'm not going there and one of the key things with pens you look at the water and it's big and it can be intimidating and it it will hand you your hat. It will do it. And it has done it to me a couple times. Fish are rising, you just can't figure out what they're doing. But there's hills you gotta go down. Catch and release, I go to the one parking area. 
and I'll take clients. I said, come on, we're going to hike two miles upstream and fish our way back all day long. And what I was going to say earlier was that don't pass up any nook or cranny. You'd be surprised. I always say, look at your home stream. How many here have a small home stream? Think about spots that you would not pass over in that stream, but you'll walk right by on pens because it's big water. Yeah. It's amazing. I was with one client. I said, yeah, there's a really good spot up there. And here comes a gentleman downstream on the trail, and we're out in the middle fishing the bank side where he was. Oh, he's going to jump in there. I said, nope, he's going to walk right by it. He's not even going to think about fishing there. And there's a lot of undercut banks. People are always thrown to the middle. and eh, throw to those edges. Those big browns like their cover. So is it mainly a brown trout fishery or rainbows? Yes, yeah, yeah. We got one big brook trout out of there, about 13 inches, 14 inches in all my years. I've gotten some rainbows, but I think they swam up from the stocked area. Yeah. But it's a big brown trout fishery. Okay, good. This is in uh, Pence Creek is in the State College area. Another one that you wanted to talk about was Spring Creek. Yeah. So tell us about Spring Creek. Yeah, Spring is truly in the State College area. It gets fished a lot, has a very high population of fish, and a lot of small ones, 8 to 10, 11-inch fish. Very good sulfur hatch, a really good sulfur hatch. It lasts a long time. It's really easy wading at 80% of the spots. It's a nice fishery. There's a lot at Spring Creek is pretty much once you get in, you're in type fishery. So there's not much posted water at all. Then you have Fly Fisher's Paradise, and there you, you can't wade in that section there. It's an historical area. But Spring Creek, it's one of my favorite ones. Again, go where the trails aren't. But the sulfur hatch, you can sit in one spot and you go. And it's not a deep creek. Knee deep is probably average depth, maybe mid-thigh. You can see bottom. And you go, I can't believe all these fish. Where'd they come from? It's yeah. it's one of those type fisheries, too. And it, it has such a high population, large parking areas and small ones along the creek, one car, two car. Like I said, very little posted water. It's okay. a great fishery. Again, is this rainbows or rookies? Or no, brown? it's a brown. It's a brown, brown too. trout okay. fishery, yeah. Okay. And when fishing gets tough there, what do you do? What do you go to? There, zebra midges and zebra midges. press hugs. Yeah, zebra midges okay. and press bugs. There's a lot of grass in there. Even though it's not really a soft, muddy bottom like your typical spring creek. It's gravelly and there's some rocks, no bigger than a computer. It's easy fishery, good hatches. Mm -hmm. Blueing olives are really good there. Sulfurs, they're the two primary in the spring. They don't have the big hatches. Okay. They do have a little bit, but not much. Okay, what about uh, another one in that area, Big Fishing Creek? Yeah, that's where the farmhouse I lease is on, and that has, I caught my first wild tiger trout this year on the property. I've caught some stocked ones, but never a wild one. But it has browns and brookies in it, smaller fish. You can find big fish. It used to be the premier stream out there many years ago. 
the pressure has gone down, which is nice. It's one of those dreams you get into it and you just start working it. And you can do a lot of dry fly searching there or dropper nymph if the bigger flies are coming off. It does have the green drake hatch. It's not real heavy, but it's there. You can find green drakes when they come off. The fish don't eat them. <laughs> you see them plug down. <laughs> what? <laughs> they don't eat them. I don't know. Hey, I've been up in the Delaware where it's been like carpeted with green drakes and they're eating caddis. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Go figure. Huh? But there, that's another zebra midge type place, small flies as the season progresses, but the sulfur hatch is really good. The Hendrickson red quill hatch is good. Like I said, it has the green drake. The Isonychia slate drake, it's okay. Good caddis action. And in the summer, yeah, size 18, just something small. I've really gotten into the smaller flies and, the, and having more success personally. Now, it looks like from the map I'm looking at, this runs quite a few miles mm-hmm. through from Mill Hall yeah. on down to to what through Clintondale through Lamar, Lamar and then further. How many miles is fishable there? Would you say? Oh my, I'd say about ten. Ten, it's probably ten, 10 miles. 10. Yeah, there's a regulated area, and then they have a section called the cabin area. So the cabin area is unique regulation. If the owners or visitors or whoever is in the cabin, if it's occupied, you're not allowed to fish there. You can walk through, but you can't fish. And then Sunday in the cabin stretch, there's no fishing at all. And it was to Hmm. be nice to the landowners. Could you imagine owning a cabin on a creek and you say to your brother-in-law, hey, let's go fish at the cabin and cut some wood? And you go there, and there's two guys fishing in your backyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I think that's a good rule. And if that's what makes them happy to keep the access open, I think it's a real interesting rule. Well, now, all these, all the ones we've been talking about, and I'm assuming probably most of the rest of them, it appears that roads run down and follow most of these streams and creeks. And that's where you're getting access from. Yeah, so just... Like big fishing creek, say, there's pullovers everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Okay. And would you say it's good fishing throughout that 10 miles? Oh, um, yeah. It's better than... Okay. Okay. All right. You also highlighted an area, little... Yeah, yeah that's uh, a really nice area. fishery. Yeah. And we oh. run trips out there, those package trips, those three-night trips and two-night trips. So there's a lodge we use out there, which you can see the river from. We call it a river. But... It's more like the size of Penn's Creek. There are some larger areas. Excellent fishery. It, to me, it's as good as Penn's. Easier to get around. Somewhat limited parking. You got to find spots, and you got to do a little hiking to get to some spots. But it's a good fishery. And is this what's the creek? It's freestone. It's a, is it? Yeah, freestone with. It's like pens, freestone with big stones, okay. and it will get the rocks will get a little slippery as the season goes on, and it'll fish to the end of June, and then pick back up in September. So it might be a little warm for the month of July and August. What kind of fish? But, uh, what kind of fish? Are ground you? trout. 
Brown trout. Brown. Yeah, okay. and it has good hatches. It has really good hatches. The sulfur hatch, the March brown, the blue wing olive. Yeah. Sulfurs are the sound highly prevalent in Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, they're everywhere. They are. Okay. If there's trout in the water, it seems there's sulfurs there. And again, you got to be creative with your patterns because people are buying a lot and they all look the same. And I think any particular ones you can recommend? Sulfur patterns well, you can I, recommend? My up down is a different looking sulfur. I have heavy biots for tails to help it float better in choppier water. And also, I like I like to exaggerate definition when I tie flies with colors mm. or with like tails. I'll go a little bit heavier than what it is. I really want to pronounce that this is a spinner with a split tail. And I'll use some pretty thick deer hair to do that. Same with my soul. I use the biots. They're pretty big diameter-wise. And they, when I talk about different patterns, I show a slide when I'm talking at the shows, and I have this blue wing olive up there, and I only use thread to do the body. And then I have these real long tails on. And people say, well, those tails are long. And I said, yeah. And I'll pick up calipers and say, I've yet to seen a fish carry one of these yet. They're not <laughs> measuring the tails. They just want to see. That's, I think people get way too technical, but I tie a lot of flies. I'm doing mass production for the season and for me. Another different area that you mentioned was uh, Cross Forks. Where is Cross Forks? That's northwest of State College through Lock Haven. Okay. There's Kettle Creek up there, which is a really nice right. fishery. That has a lot of good hatches, and we'll go up there. The nice thing about State College, like the Juniata is about an hour from my farmhouse. It's about an hour and 20 minutes to get down there. But within an hour circle of State College, you can, oh, there's so many streams that you can right. fish from small brookie trout streams and parks. You just drive around in the game lands, hunting lands, hey, there's a small creek, let's go fish it. There's brook trout in it. But up there at the Kettle Creek is a larger stream up there, and it's a really nice stream. What kind of fish does it hold? Oh, that's brown trout and stocked rainbows. Wild brown, there's wild brookies there too, native brookies and wild browns, yeah. Are there any wild rainbows? In Pennsylvania, are they just all stocked? No, there are, are up in the Delaware system, and I've found some okay. here locally. I've caught some here locally. So, though, I think if we get a couple good years of certain type of waters or temperatures and higher water, you're going to see them. I think once it gets down to like now with 100 degrees tomorrow, I think they have a tough time because they yeah. like to be yeah. – the riffles and the oxygen, and it gets too warm there for them. Yeah, yeah. I was, I've been reading one of, I don't know if it's Steve Ramirez. Mm-hmm. He, if he's a writer and he's written two books, just publishing his third book, but he fishes a lot down in Texas in the hill country down there. And in his books, he was, he's talking about how they stock the, uh, the rainbows down there. And knowing that at the end of the season, they won't survive because water just gets too warm and they can't, they can't make it through the year. And 
But he says, I still release them. <laughs> like, yeah. I let them swim yeah. for as long as they can. And then yeah. uh, the, the state here does the same. They'll stock yeah. fish and creeks. They know they're not going to make it. But it, it's good for the kids. Yeah. And people who want to harvest, they encourage that. That's yeah, all part of it. Most of us mm-hmm. learn that way. Yes. Now, you had a whole bunch of creeks and rivers in eastern Pennsylvania. Pahokan? Yeah, Another Native American. Yeah. <laughs> Topahawken so and then the Manitoni Creek is another, and the Popoco. And so, anyway, right. the Topahawken, I mentioned it earlier, it's a delayed harvest and it's a, a release from a dam. And it used to be one of the top fisheries in this part of the state. But what happened is that we're not getting cold enough water out of the dam during the summer. Because you could fish yeah. it year-round. And what's happened is that siltation has pushed up the water columns. Right now, it's releasing 72-degree water, where 20 years ago, it was releasing 64 or 62. But it's still a good fishery. It's part of the Keystone Program. And the Keystone Program is there's a group of streams. What they do is they put some big boys in there, some 18- to 20-inch browns and rainbows. So it's always nice to go there. You never know. And it actually has some carp you can go fish for. And then the Manitoni Creek, is that's my local stream. That's where I really cut my teeth on. And that's a brown trout fishery, but they do stock it. And uh, But there's five streams that form it, and two are Class A. What I mean by Class A, in Pennsylvania, you have exceptional value, and then the next level down is Class A. And then next level down is it's a trout stream. It has a high designation to it because of the, how good the water is, how good the bug life is. And the Manitoni Creek has the highest, the best hatches in the area down here. and has everything basically except the green grain. And then there's several streams in the Allentown area. Little Lehigh, right now, I looked this morning, I was just looking around at temperatures because of the heat wave, and that's running 64 degrees, so that's fishable right now. That's spring creeks and and spring fed. The Saucon doesn't have a temperature on it, but that's in the Allentown, Bethlehem, Easton area, and, and the Monocacy is up that way, and that has special regulations. They're all brown trout fisheries. You have to understand Pennsylvania is a brown trout fishery or native brook. Okay. That the bigger waters is browns, and then the small waters are brookies. And then the Lackawanna River. That is a river up in the Scranton area, and it's designated as a Class A, and it's a river. And so there's 17 miles of fishing up there. It's one of those rivers where once you get in, you can fish. But you might be fishing in downtown Scranton. You might hook a shopping cart. So you never know what you're <laughs> I hear. I plan to learn more about that river. I've got an upcoming interview with Charles Charleston. Uh, oh, yeah. I know. Uh, I, I think he had a lot to do with revitalizing yeah. that river. So I'm anxious to talk to him about that because I guess it was in pretty bad shape at one yeah, point in time. But if, yeah. It was the coal regions up that way. We didn't treat the land too well. So right. It has recovered. Right. It's a great fishery. There's a lot of big fish in there because it's big water. 
And again, don't walk by stretches you would fish in your home stream. I like to fish outside the city area, of course. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's. I know in downtown Denver here, there's some pretty darn good carp fishing, and you're looking up at high rises, but not good trout fishing. <laughs> yeah. In some places, there there is good fishing in inner city. And then, it's pretty, yeah. And then yeah, I the think you've got a quest. Yeah, the Monocacy is just like the Saucon, 20 feet wide, 30 feet wide, springish type creek with small rocks. And you won't see huge fish in there. Every once in a while, you'll get one. But generally speaking, they're 9 to 13, 14 inches in that range, brown trout. And then I see there's a question here about the Lehigh. So the Lehigh is an interesting story. It's a drift boat river. They do a lot of rafting there, recreational rafting and commercial. They run trips there. So they do releases to help the rafters, and then they do releases to keep the water chilled from two different dams. It has the, there's an association that works with the Army Corps to come up with a release plan every year, and then there's a stocking association. And it does have big fish, but sometimes the people get confused between the stock brown and the wild brown. They think the stock brown's wild, but because the Stocking Association puts in some beautiful brown trout in there and rainbows. But there is a good wild brown trout fishery. Very hard to wade, in my opinion. I wade fished it maybe 10 times in my life and drifted it 30 or 40 times. The best way to fish it is a drift boat. And there's some good cold water coming in there. The one stream is the Po Poco, and that's a cold water release dam. I mentioned that earlier. We guide a lot on that because it's a it's an easy wade fishery, and it has good hatches, too. I wouldn't drive by the Lehigh to answer your question, Jason. Give it a try. And we do drift boat trips down there. Best time is of course, in the spring and then in the fall. Right now, it's unfishable. Yeah. How do you tell the difference between a stocked brown and a wild brown? That's a difficult question. Depending, stocked browns usually have dots that touch each other or look like a figure eight and they're silvery. Now, that's your general stocked fish, but a brown trout like raised in a good spring pond, fed good food, will look just like a wild one. So it's hard to tell, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to tell. It used to be, oh, it has a blue dot and it has a red tip. So stockfish have that now, too, if they're fed correctly. It's about the habitat. A lot of the food is made from the salmon that run out of the Great Lakes to give them protein. Yeah, we're running out of time here. In fact, we've run out of time. Any <laughs> closing thoughts, Rick, on people that have maybe never fished Pennsylvania? Uh, we've given them a lot to look forward to tonight, I think. Any closing thoughts on fishing Pennsylvania? I would pick up one of the books if you have interest in fishing here. The other thing you could do is get on my newsletter. You'll hear about trips we do, the package trips. And one thing you have to remember, I do draw people from around the country. I had people here from as far as Colorado come in last two years, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Kentucky, Texas, Oklahoma, Georgia, Virginia, Connecticut. 
So I do draw a lot of people in. The state draws in a lot of people because they want to fish it. They, they hear about it and read about it on the Internet. So I right. put it on your bucket list. And that's right. It's not as expensive as going to Montana or Labrador or places like that. It's not that expensive yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. It's I've never fished there. It certainly has gotten my interest. <laughs> I'm thinking about calling my buddy and saying, "You want to go do a road trip?" Because <laughs> <And laughs> it just seems like there's so much fishing there. It's, you turn your back on one stream and you're facing another one. It seems like I know it's you, not you, quite like that, yeah. but it's it seems so anyway. Yeah, great. Stick with me. We're gonna give away a few prizes, Rick. We're gonna give right. away one year membership to Fly Fishers International, one year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. And we'll be giving away a book, courtesy of Stackpole Books. Hang tight with me and just that. Do you have to travel? To, do you travel to fish? Medical and security emergencies happen. When they do, you can rely on Global Rescue, the world's leading membership organization, providing integrated medical, security, travel risk, and crisis response services to travelers worldwide. Without a Global Rescue membership, an emergency evacuation could cost you more than $100,000. That's why over 1 million members trust Global Rescue to get them home when the worst happens. Don't travel without Global Rescue. Members start at just $129. Learn more about Global Rescue's program. Just click on the Global Rescue icon in the footer of askaboutflyfishing.com. You'll find it down there, the logo in the footer. Click on that and you'll learn more about Global Rescue. Just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave our website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find the link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show. This is what did you think of the show? Just click on the link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. Now it's time to give away our prizes. Winners for our drawings are randomly selected from the show's registration database. If you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for our next show. You don't want to miss out on your chance to, uh, at some of the great prizes that we have to offer. If you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show and provide you with information on how to receive your prize. So first up, is we'll give away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org, flyfishersinternational.org. And let me fire up my database here. And looks like Greg Nichols in Alabama. Greg Nichols in Alabama. So congratulations, Greg, on winning that one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. If you didn't win tonight, go check them out. Join yourself. It's a great organization to support. Our next prize that we're going to give away is a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, which is courtesy of AmatoBooks.com, another publisher that publishes great books and periodicals on fly fishing. So check them out. And it looks like our winner for that is David Pate, David Pate in Texas. So congratulations, David. And congratulations on both the gentlemen and hope you enjoy your prizes. And now we'll give away a book courtesy of Stackpole Books. So I have a list of books to give away from Stackpole. And if you are the winner tonight, I'll send you the list and you can pick one of the books from that list if you are the winner. So the way we play this is that you type in your answer, your name and your location and the form on our homepage. It's the same form we use to ask questions during the show. First person that gets the correct answer wins. The question is, even though... The fish may not like to eat those green drakes. You may want to fish for the, with those green drakes. What holiday of the year is the green drake hatch centered around in Pennsylvania? What holiday? So I hope that's 
that was right at the beginning of the interview there, Rick. So I don't, we'll see if anybody made note of that. And it takes a minute because there is a slight delay before they even hear me. So let me see if we can get somebody to answer. If somebody knows. So I'm refreshing my queue here. And it looks like we might have a winner. Carl Palmer in Rochester, New York says Memorial Day. Is he right, Rick? Yes, he is. Okay, there we go. So now we got more of them coming in. A couple other, Tom, Bob. Yeah, a bunch of people coming in right behind. But Carl was the fastest. So congratulations, Carl. Hey, Carl, just send me your mailing address, your shipping address, in the same form. I've got your name, your email address. Just send me your shipping address using that same form, and then we'll get that book shipped out to you. Congratulations on that. Thanks for paying attention. Hope you learned something. Hope everybody learned something tonight, because I did. And Rick, I really appreciate you being on the show and taking your time out. I know it's still it's even more past your bedtime than when we started. But you, you hung in there, buddy. You hung in there. So thanks so much for being with us. All righty. Thank you for having me. Have a good night's sleep. <laughs> all righty. Hope, yeah, hopefully you've all found the podcast archive on our website. If you haven't, just look around for the link on the top line of our menu. In the archive, you'll find all of our past shows, over 360 shows, which you can search by keyword or keyword phrase like Trout, Tarpon, Madison River, Pennsylvania, whatever you Go ahead and explore, and I'm sure you'll find some great shows to listen to that you'll really enjoy. Our next broadcast will be on August 17th, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And on that show, I'll interview Christy McReynolds. And our topic for the show will be fly fishing for monster browns on streamers. Christy knows how to hook up with monster brown trout on the fly. She's a lifelong angler and has developed her skills on the South Holston and Watauga, or Watuga rivers in East Tennessee, where she and her husband, Jason, run their guide service, Flying Soho. Join us and learn their secrets to finding, hooking up, and landing these fish of a lifetime. Be sure to add this upcoming show to your calendar. Just click on the Add to Calendar button just below Christy's photo on the homepage, and you'll be all set. We'd also like to thank Fly Fishers International, Motto Books, Lee's Ferry Anglers, Enrico Tbilisi Flies, and Global Rescue for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future content. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.